0: The previous couple of Mishnayas discussed which Shephoris are valid to fulfill the mitzvah of Shephor and Rosh Hashanah. It should be noted that the main mitzvah of Shephor and Rosh Hashanah is not to blow the Shefar, but rather to hear the Shephor be blown. And this mission will bring a few cases of ways and different methods and different places in which one blew the shofar and whether the sound which was produced by blowing the shofar in this way would be valid for fulfilling the mitzvah of shofar on Rosh Hashanah. HaTuke'a Laseich <laughs> one who blows the shofar inside a pit. Eluseich HaDus, or inside a Dus, which is very similar to a pit. However, the pit itself is surrounded by stones, and it's got a wall all the way around it. It's not just the earth itself dug up, but it actually has proper walls inside the ground. Or inside a very large barrel... And one of the reasons why somebody might have blown the shofar in one of these ways was perhaps during a time where the non-Jewish nation who was ruling over them didn't allow them to keep certain mitzvahs, so they might have been doing it in hiding, and as such may have blown the shofar in this way. Be it as it may, kol shofar shoma, if he heard only the actual voice and the sound of the shofar itself, then yotza. But if he only heard the voice, the sound of an echo, the echo which was produced by the sound of the shofar, then he has not fulfilled his obligation because one needs to hear the shofar sound itself, and not the echo which is produced after the actual blowing of the shofar. The Gemara adds that anybody who is situated inside the pit or inside of this barrel, so he certainly does fulfill his obligation, because he certainly would have heard the actual sound of the shofar. Perhaps he also hears an echo after that, but he definitely did hear the actual sound of the schaefer as well. Whereas the whole discussion of the mission over here is more referring to somebody who is outside of the pit or the barrel, and for him it depends which sound he hears. The mission now brings another similar case, where a schaefer is blown, and some people who hear the schaefer will fulfil the obligation, whereas others who hear exactly the same sound this time... It's not even a different sound, it's exactly the same sound, however, he will not fulfill his obligation. So what's the case? Similarly, one who is passing behind a shul, he's walking past the shul, or if his house was situated right next to the shul, and he's standing outside of the shul, or he's sitting in his house, and he hears the voice, the sound of the shofar being blown. A Megillah, or the voice, the sound of the Megillah being read on Purim, that's a Mitsubishi Abbonon. Shofer, of course, is a Mitsubishi Eraser. Says the mission name, Kevin Liboi. If he had the right intention in his heart, in his mind to fulfil the obligation of the Mitzvah, then Yotzah, he has indeed fulfilled the Mitzvah, vim lav. But if not, if he doesn't intend to fulfil the Mitzvah, he only just hears the plain sound, then lo Yotzah he has not fulfilled his obligation, Afa Pisha even though this person heard and this person heard, meaning whether they intended to fulfil the Mitzvah or not, either way, he heard the shafar. nevertheless, was leboi v'zalakeven leboi. This one intended to fulfil the Mitzvah, and this one did not intend to fulfil the Mitzvah. And the simple understanding of the Mishnah is that it goes according to the opinion that mitzvah tzriches kavana. There is a debate in a number of places throughout Shas whether one needs to intend to fulfil the mitzvah when performing the mitzvah in order to fulfil it. And according to this Mishnah it seems that one does indeed need that kavana. However, it could be that what the Mishnah is saying is that you have to have intention to be performing that act. Even according to the opinion that you don't have to have intention to fulfill your mitzvah, they still agree that you have to have intention that you know what you're doing. So you have to realize that it's a shayfar. You have to realize it's the Megillah and he's reading the Megillah. So that could be the intention of the Mishnah, that if he realizes what he is hearing, then fulfills his mitzvah, even if he doesn't actually intend to be fulfilling the mitzvah itself. But again, that would depend on the two opinions, whether mitzvah is tzirich, is kavana, or not. Now, it should be noted that, at least according to the simple understanding of the Mishnah, that it goes according to the opinion of Mitzvah Tzirich Kavana, Kavanah, the one does need to, forf- to intend to fulfil the Mitzvah in order to fulfil it, the same applies for the person performing the Mitzvah. Just like he needs to have the intention to fulfil the Mitzvah, the one who is reading the Megillah or blowing the Shofar, he also needs to intend that by his blowing and his reading of the Megillah, he is intending to fulfil the obligation of everybody who hears it. That's why the example of the mission is specifically somebody who is next to a shul. So the person doing it in shul has the intention that anybody who is hearing it should fulfill their obligation. But if somebody overhears someone blowing a shufar for an individual, let's say, not in a shul for everybody to hear, so then he wouldn't fulfill his obligation, even if he has the intention to do so, since the one who is blowing the shufar or reading the Megillah would not have the intention. And we need the intention of both the person performing the act and the person who is fulfilling fulfilling his obligation via that act. Mishnah Ches. Since we're discussing the idea of Kavanah, of having the correct intentions, the Mishnah brings the Pasuk Vohor Kasha Yorim Moshe Yodai. It was when Moshe would lift up his hands with Govar Yisrael and Yisrael would be victorious and they would have the upper hand and this Pasuk is referring to the war against Amalek. After the Jewish people left Mitzrayim and Amalek came to attack them, the Torah says that Moshe went up to the top of a mountain, and he davened to Hashem, and he lifted up his hands. And the Torah makes a point that as he lifted up his hands, that is when the Jews were winning. But when he put his hands down, then they would start falling. Asks the Moshe an obvious question, Is it the hands of Moshe which decides who will win the war, or who causes people to fall in war? Of course not. Ela Rather, it's to tell you to call the mancha you stole mishtakim as long as the Jewish people were looking upwards and and they were enslaving their hearts, they directed their hearts towards their Father in Heaven, Hashem. Hoi they were being victorious, the battle was going their way, Vim Lav. But if not, when Moshe did not have his hands raised up to remind people to look upwards, then people would forget and they wouldn't necessarily direct their hearts totally to Hashem in prayer, and at that point, Hoi they would fall down, because the winning of the war is dependent on how much we have our hearts directed to Hashem, and how great our prayers are similar to this matter, you should say, in the following case, you see another idea like this, when the Jews in the desert complained that they didn't have any food or water, so Hashem brought a plague of snakes and serpents, and they bit the people, many people died, and then the Jewish people started to repent, and they went to Moshe, and Moshe dove to Hashem, and Hashem told him to make a copper snake, and to put it on a pole, Hashem said make for yourself a serpent place it on a pole and set it up for everybody to see and it will be that anybody who is bitten by a snake or a serpent he will see the serpent and he will live. So ask the Mishnah is it a snake who kills people? Is it a snake who causes people to live? Of course not, but rather as long as the Jewish people were looking upwards and they were enslaving and directing their hearts towards Hashem in the heavens, their father in heaven, they would be healed because they would look upwards, they would be reminded of Hashem and they'd be reminded of the real one who heals everybody, and they would dove to Hashem. And that's how they were healed, not by the snake of course, but if not, as long as the snake was not there and there was no reminder to look up to Hashem and daven to him, they would melt away and be destroyed, and they would not be healed and they would end up dying. Alright, now the Perik ends off with a limitation on who is able to fulfil a mitzvah and to, p- to perform the act of the mitzvah in order to fulfil other people's obligation. So for example, who would be able to read the Megillah or to blow the shofar? Cheresh, which generally refers to somebody who is both deaf and dumb. However, when it comes to the mitzvahs of shofar and Megillah, even somebody who can speak but he can't hear is not obligated in the mitzvah, because the whole mitzvah is to hear it and he can't hear it. So he's not obligated in the mitzvah. Shoeiteh. A fool, he doesn't have a sufficient level of understanding, and he is exempt from all mitzvahs. For Kotan, and a child under the age of barabbas mitzvah, again, at least on a midirayta level, he is exempt from all mitzvahs. And because these two people themselves are not obligated in the mitzvah, they cannot cause others to fulfill the obligation via their performance of the mitzvah. Zakla, well, this is the rule, Kosh in Chuyav Badavar. Anybody who is not at all obligated in the matter himself, he has no mitzvah of shofar or Megillah, etc, In Maitis Ramelech Varsani cannot cause others to fulfil their mitzvah via his performance of the act of the mitzvah, since even he himself is not obligated. So in a way, the mitzvah is not really being performed in its fullness, on the level which somebody who is obligated requires. Perigdavim shlo Aleph. mid the mitzvah of blowing the shofar, hearing the shofar's sound on Rosh Hashanah applies even if Rosh Hashanah falls on a Shabbos, producing a sound. At least with eraisor, is totally permitted on Shabbos. Even playing proper instruments is permitted with eraisor on Shabbos. Only with Yabonon one cannot play instruments on Shabbos in case he comes to repair the instrument. But essentially, with eraisor, it's totally permitted. However, mid-Rabbonon, if Rosh Hashanah falls on a Shabbos, the shofar is not blown, and the reason for this is that the Chachomim were concerned that people might come to carrying a shofar for Amos in a Rosh Hashanah, in a public domain, and it's forbidden to carry in a public domain on Shabbos mid-Raisa, and people might do that in order to ask an expert how to blow it, or they might bring it to shul. And so, for a of falls on a Shabbos, on the shofar is not blown. The chachomim have the power to go against the Torah if it is shev al tiseh, if it's being passive and not doing something. So they can say the Torah says you should do this, you should blow the shofar. The chachom have the power to say don't do it, sit back and don't do anything. So you're not actively going against the Torah. It's passive, and the chachom have the power to do that. The mission in Sukkos says basically the same thing regarding the Araminim, that mid-Jabonon they should not be shaken on Shabbos for the same reason, and the mission in Megillah says the same thing regarding the Megillah, that it should not be read if Purim falls on Shabbos, for the same reason that somebody might come to carry it in a public domain. Now, there's a rule, ain't shavus ba mikdash, Rabbinic prohibitions of Shabbos don't apply in the Beit HaMikdash. In most scenarios, the reason for the decree does not apply in the Beit HaMikdash. People are far more careful in the Beit HaMikdash so they won't come to violate Tavirus. And there's particular people appointed over things, and so rabbinic prohibitions of Shabbos do not apply in the Beit HaMikdash. And because of that, Yom Tov Shal Rosh Hashanah Shchalesh wa Shabbos, if the Yom Tov Rosh Hashanah falls on a Shabbos, but make the show taken. in the base of Mikdash the they would still build the shofar, although by Medina, but not in the rest of the country, in case one comes to carry it in a public domain. There are those such as the Rambam, who learns that the word Mikdosh refers to the entire city of Yerushalayim, that in the entire city it will be permitted to blow the shofar, however most disagree and hold that it is referring only to the Beis Mikdosh itself. Beis now when the Beis Hamikdosh was destroyed, the Chachomin did not want it to be that if Roshon fell on a Shabbos, the shofar wouldn't be blown at all. So Hezken O'Meirchen Menzakai, ben Menzakai who was the Nosi, he was the head of the Sanhedrin, the single largest basin Din over Kaul 71 judges, so he instituted shrihu toikim b'cholmokim sheshwai based Din. The sheshwai should be blown even on Shabbos in any place where there is a based Din. According to most this is referring to a Sanhedrin K'tanah, a small Sanhedrin of 23 judges, and most cities had one Sanhedrin K'tanah. So any place where there was a Sanhedrin katana, the shofar would be blown, because the Sanhedrin would make sure that people would not carry in a public domain. They would warn people, they would make sure people were very careful, and so the shofar could be blown in such places, even on Shabbos, Rabbi Mabri said, azhar Rabbi El-Azhar said, Rabbi el only instituted that in Yavne, which was where the Sanhedrin g'dayla, the large Sanhedrin of seventy-one judges, that's where they sat after the Besamikdosh was destroyed, so only where the main Sanhedrin was, and Rabbi Reuch Zaka himself was, only there did he allow for the shofar to be blown on a Shabbos, only there would people be careful enough. But Om Ruloi the Chachomim said back to Rabbi Lazar, Echod Yavne veechod be based in. Whether Yavne or any place which has a based in, that's where the shofar is blown on Shabbos. The Gemara explains that the point of the Chachomim saying their opinion again, is because it's slightly different to how we understood it the first time. Over here the Chahamma is saying that it has to be a basin which is fixed in that place. It can't just be that they set up a small basin temporarily and then you'll blow the shayfar. It has to be that there is a fixed Sanhedrin Ketanah of 23 judges who is situated in that city and it's fixed there. So in that case, then people will be far less likely to end up violating the avera of carrying in a public domain on Shabbos and as such, in such a place, the Mitzvah of Shefah would apply even on Shabbos. Mishnah Bates. So we explained in the previous Mishnah that there are two ways to understand where the Shafer was blown on Shabbos as long as the Besamikdash did still exist. According to most Roshonim, this was done only in the Besamikdash itself, where the Sanhedrin was. Whereas according to the Rambam, it was done in the entire city of Yerushalayim. Now the following Mishnah seems very much to support the opinion of the Rambam because it implies that whereas when we talked about Yavneh and after the Besamikdash was destroyed, so the previous previous missioner said that the shofar was only blown where there is a basin, perhaps only in Yavne, or perhaps any place where there is a basin, but only in the basin itself, not throughout that entire city. However, for as long as the shofar was blown in Yerushalayim when the Beit Hamidosh was still around, it was blown not only in the presence of the Sanhedrin, but in the entire city. And that's exactly how the Rambam said. And in fact, the Mishnah adds that Yerushalayim was more. The shofar was blown more in Yerushalayim than it was after the Beit Hamidosh was destroyed elsewhere. Because, as long as the Beit Hamidosh was still around, any city which could both see and here, the Shevah in Yerushalayim or Kureva, and it was near to Yerushalayim; it was within the techum within two thousand amos of Yerushalayim. And fourthly, v'yechel Lovai, and one would be able to come from that city to Yerushalayim on Shabbos Yom Tov. So, for example, if there was a river in the way, and the only way to cross the river would be to swim or to row across, which would be forbidden on Shabbos Yom Tov. So, that's considered a city which is not able to come to Yerushalayim. But if it's a city which is able to, so if all these four conditions are fulfilled, then in they would blow the shofar even in that city. So not only in the entire city of Yerushalayim, as the Rambam explained in the previous Mishnah, but even a bordering city, which is very nearby Yerushalayim, would also blow the shofar in that city. Whereas with Yavna, in Yavna, they would only blow the shofar in the basin itself and not throughout the rest of the city let alone bordering cities. So we've explained the mission, according to the Rambam it makes perfect sense. However, according to most Rishonim who explained the previous Mishnah in its simple understanding that the shofar was only blown in the Beit Hamikdash itself, this Mishnah proves quite difficult. There are certain Rishonim who suggest that this Mishnah is referring to the period before the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, but after the Sanhedrin left the Beit Hamikdash. The Gemara explains that 40 years before the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, the Sanhedrin left and no longer sat in the Beit Hamikdash itself. They sat elsewhere in Yerushalayim until eventually they ended up in Yavne. So it could very well be that this Mishnah is referring to that time period after the Sanhedrin left the Besamekdash, before the Besamekdash was destroyed. And then the reason would be that once the Sanhedrin were further into the city of Yerushalayim, and they weren't just sort of hidden away in the Besamekdash, so then their influence was perhaps greater and people would be more careful not to carry in a public domain, and therefore throughout the entire city and even bordering cities, the shofar could be blown on Shabbos if Rosh Hashanah fell on Shabbos.